I really, really felt led to talk today about George Floyd and the situation that is going on around us. Travis has alluded to it. I have alluded to it to some degree. And then you know what? Then I didn't feel led to do that. Because that's not what you're here for. I don't need to spend time telling you that what's happening out there is going to get worse, not better. I don't need to spend time telling you that, you know what, the, the hatred and, and things that are happening in our world, this is going to get way worse before it gets better. These are the birth pangs of Messiah. In some weird way, we're supposed to be super excited about it because it means Yeshua is nearer than he was yesterday. I don't need to tell you that people have been murdering, raping, stealing, kidnapping, destroying, and generally abusing other human beings since nearly the beginning, Cain and Abel, Noah's generation, Lot, Sodom, all of it down the road. And yes, still today, and yes, in the United States and all over the world, we still do that. Friends, if you need to come to the house of worship to be able to, to be taught about how to not hate people and love your neighbor and do all this kind of stuff, I can't fix that in 30 minutes. There are much bigger issues that need to be dealt with if that's not something you're thinking through on your own. You're here to learn about God, about Messiah Yeshua, about how we're to be like him, how Hashem wants us to be and to live and how we can affect the world positively. And here's all I'm going to say about that. Repairing the world begins with repairing yourself. So start there. Listen to me. This is on both sides. And it always is. And I'm not specifically talking about, you know, the incident with George Floyd. But all of this. What I'm going to teach you, and today is teaching, does actually relate to the current state of the world, particularly as we find our place in it. And so, what representation should we be making? So here we go. Main thrust of Exodus. Tell me, I want to look at the main thrusts of the books we've covered in the Torah portion so far, and the Torah uh, cycle. What is the main thrust of Exodus? What's the main idea of Shemot? What's the, what's the overarching thing that's discussed in the book of Shemot? Exodus, Passover, and at the end, taking up the tabernacle. The tabernacle takes up a huge part of Exodus. And then we move into Leviticus, and what's its main thrust? The priesthood. How we interact with the tabernacle and indirectly, directly with Hashem. And we're finding the priestly order and the sacrifices. And there are some other things going on, obviously, but the main thrust really there, and there's a purity focus. And we pay special attention to some things in there that are called avot uh, hatumah, uh, which basically means like the granddaddy of impurities, 
which are tsarat, leprosy, tzav, which is the emission, and then corpse contamination. Those things get a, a pretty big section of attention in Leviticus, right? So purity. But thank goodness we got past all that, and now we're in numbers. And what is its main thrust, at least so far? Numbers. Thank you. Very, very good. Numbers. This week's Parsha continues with the familiar language that we've talked about two weeks ago. It says, Naso this time, Naso at Rosh. It means take a census, lift up, raise up the head. And so we're still raising up heads. We're, now we're counting the Levites or numbering them. So, but there are some other really cool things that are coming in numbers, right? We've got, we've got Shalach coming. We've got the spies. We've got giants. We've got Korach. We've got the earth opening up. We've got bronze serpents and plagues. And like it's, there's a lot that's going to happen here. And the next thing you know, chapter 5 of the book of Numbers opens up with talking about Sarat, Sav, and dead people again. Now, come on, Hashem, we did this already. I thought that we had gotten past this. We covered that. Why? Why are we doing this here? But hang on. There might be more than this. There might be more here than just a rehash of the granddaddy of impurities. I want to remind you of something that Hashem said back in Exodus 25.8. When he said, Which means, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. But up until now, right now in Numbers, we didn't really have a specified dwelling. And what I mean is we did not have a machane. We didn't have a camp. So if you jump back to our first Torah portion in Numbers, we were, we were wandering, we were making our way into the land, but there's another key thing besides counting that happened in Numbers. That was the placement of the children of Israel around building and connecting from, well, earlier, from actually Abraham, but now we see Ad Shechanti, Bitocham, in the middle of everything is Hashem. The Levites are around it, the priests are around it, and then we get this very particularly ordered camp layout for Israel. And so we see that connection. Exodus, the instruction, construction, completion of the tabernacle, the place where the glory would dwell. Leviticus, the practical application of how to live there. And now in Numbers, what we're seeing is more than Numbers, but the centrality of God for Israel. Gonna be in the center, in the machane, in the camp, and the tribes would dwell around it. So the camp looked like this, according to Hashem's instruction. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this because it's important. But four main tribes, right, set up around the camp. All 12 were, well, there's 13, but 12 were in and around the Mishkan. But we had Dan, 
Reuben, Judah, and Ephraim as the four that were flying their banners. And underneath them were two other tribes that joined with them. So we had four sets of three tribes, right? And we had 12 tribes. And Levi, of course, right around, directly around the the Mishkan. Now, I'm going to come back to that, but Exodus, build it. Leviticus, prepare it. Numbers, implement it. Why are we implementing this? Why do we need a camp? Why is this so important? Because we're getting ready to go where? Into the land. We're getting ready to take the presence of Hashem into Israel. So he has ordered his people, literally ordered them. But wait. What does that have to do with corpse contamination, sarat, and emissions? I haven't even, I haven't gotten to that. We've got all this cool stuff going on, flags, camp, tabernacle, journey, and we're, we're learning this, seeing the holiness of the Mishkan, the dwelling presence. We've got this detailed order now of how everybody's going to be flying under Degalim, under these banners that represent something and then slipped in for good measure, there it is, Sarat. Well, here's the easy answer as to why that's there. And this is from the art scroll Humash. Physical factors are the cause of ritual contamination, but it can also be harmful to the place where it exists. The sages characterize these purity laws as decrees of the king. They are beyond human understanding. Summary, when you got all that stuff going on, it makes the camp dirty. So you know what? We got we to gotta take them out of the camp. That's what, that's what Numbers 5 is telling us to do. When they're there, you get them out of the camp. Okay? So they're saying, well, Art Scroll says, uh, it's, there's a reason, but it's beyond us. Hang on. There are absolutely no coincidences anywhere in the world God is the orderer of all things. There are none. Israel was preparing for this final step, its destiny fulfilling a role. And I want to thank Hanok Waxman, who I have no idea who he is, but in every week you can find a commentary. And if you just keep reading, you will be blown away by something someone says. And this week it was Hanok Waxman, who I think is an Israeli yeshiva student who was writing a paper in 2004, and I come stumbled across this, this paper. There is something very, very particular about this ordering of the camp under these banners. But you still haven't told me about white sarats in there. Hang on, I will. This speaks to the central role of Israel as God's chosen people, the way that this camp is ordered. Chosen for what? Here we're going to make an incredible connection. What Israel was chosen to do in Deuteronomy 4 was to take God, Hashem, the God of Israel, the master of the universe, to the nations, to be a light to the nations, to shine the light that dwelled in their midst, Shechanti Betocham. But to make this amazing connection... 
with their chosenness, the order of the camp, the tzarat, all of these things. We need to go to the, one of the craziest chapters in the entire Bible. You know what's in Ezekiel 1? The Merkavah. It's, it is like the height of Jewish mysticism. The chariot, the chayot, the ofnim, the seraphim, the four living creatures, the wheels that had eyes that they could move in any direction they wanted to go. And the seraphim are like lights and fires and people have wings and all these angels have wings and things are happening. It's insanity what Ezekiel saw there. But it was not random what Ezekiel saw because it connects us right back to our Torah portion. Have you read Ezekiel 1 recently? You should read it if you haven't. It, is, it will not surprise you that a number of the most esoteric thought in Judaism has drawn from the Merkava, the Merkava, the chariot. And even though the word chariot is not explicitly used there, we know some things. We know that this is speaking of what Ezekiel saw when he looked and behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. Within it there were figures resembling four living beings. These are the chayot. And this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Is that weird yet? It's a little weird but it's super cool. The chayot, in essence, are driving God around. The presence of God. Under them is the ofnim, the chayot, the four living creatures, and then the highest of angels, the seraphim. You with me? Good. What are they driving around? What are they carrying? What is happening here? Well, we can look at Ezekiel further. The ab above the expanse, that is that what was above the living creatures, above the ofnim, the wheels with eyes, above the expanse that was over their head, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire. There was a radiance around him as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice speaking. Guess what? If you saw that, you'd fall on your face too. That's the natural encounter when the glory of the Lord is around. But these angels didn't do that. The presence of the Shekhinah was in their midst. The glorious representation, the divine representatives carried with them the presence and the glory of the Lord. Now, you should or could possibly be making a connection right now. Anyone making a connection between what I said with the camps and the order of four and the presence of God in the middle in the Mishkan and have you ever heard the phrase on earth as it is in heaven? We just heard it because we said, Yeshua said we should be wanting that. 
Here it is. Here it is. Darren, show me that um, show me that first slide of the camp, not that one, the other one. <clears throat> Remember our discussion in Hebrews about a heavenly temple and an earthly temple? What we now see is a heavenly camp with God in its center and an earthly camp with God in its center. Stick with me for one second. I'm going to make this relevant, I promise. Four carriers positioned around them, but here's the thing. We're not even close to the cool stuff yet. In case there were any confusion about the point that I'm going to conclude with momentarily, here is some rapid-fire coolness, okay? The Degalim, let's go back to this arrangement. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The sons of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's household. They shall camp around the tent of the meeting at a distance. Tent of meeting at a distance. It should not surprise you to say, to know, that there is a lot of discussion in, is, in Judaism about these particular banners and what they actually were. Some are that it's just some flags that had colors that matched the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. But there are others who have a much more detailed interpretation of what these banners were. But particularly, Ibn, Ibn Ezra and Ramban, these two great sages, they said, no, when we read this, when we read him saying that they shall have banners of their father's household, what that actually means is that their banners have an item on them that represents their father's household. So as a guess, what was the banner that Judah had? What was his symbol? A lion. What was Ephraim's symbol? It was an ox. Why was it an ox? All of these things are tied in to the word of God. Genesis 13, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 33, 17, the blessing of Moshe. He said that about Ephraim. Reuben has a symbol. There are a lot of different symbols, actually, but one of Reuben's prominent symbols that's known is a man. A man. Why a man? Because you know back in Genesis, Reuben found the, the Dudaim, they are, that's the mandrakes that were fertility, which he gave to his mother, and she had a baby. In essence, she created a man. Reuben gave her that ability. Last but not least, we have the tribe of Dan, who is one of those four main things around here. Dan's symbol also relatively hard to track down. But Ibn Ezra from an obscure Midrash says that Dan's symbol was the eagle or the snake with an eagle's head. So what I want to show you is this next slide and what that actually looks like. So under these four guys, they're flying the banners that are representing their kind of camp. We have, looking from the front of the tabernacle is at Judah, but if we're looking, uh, here we have Reuben as a man, to the right is a lion, to the back is an eagle, to the left is an ox. So what? is the question you ask. Well, 
That might should sound familiar to you. A lion, an ox, an eagle, and a man. Do you know where those are? Ezekiel 1.10, each of them had a human face at the front, a lion on the right, an ox on the left, an eagle at the back. The encampment of Israel, the arrangement of these degalim, is an on earth as it is in heaven arrangement. And you say, well, it says Judah's on the right. But if you're looking at the front, if you're facing this for a living creature, then he's actually over... I'm not even going to get into that, but it actually works. So just trust me on that. And there's more. Okay, you got that? You see that on earth as it is in heaven connection? There's more. Ezekiel 1.4, I looked and lo, a stormy wind came sweeping out of the north, a huge cloud and flashing fire resembling, surrounded by radiance. Do you remember that? What are those key elements? Cloud and fire. Where have we seen that before? On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the pact, and in the evening it rested over the tabernacle in the likeness of fire until morning. Cloud and fire in the camp on earth. And the sound, Ezekiel 1.24, when they moved, I could hear the sound of their wings like the sound of mighty waters, the sound of Shaddai, a tumult like the din of an army. An army is one translation. You know what the word is? Machane, like a camp. That's what Ezekiel heard in heaven when he saw this going on. Not an army, a camp with cloud and fire and lion, ox, man, and whatever the other thing is, eagle. Man, that's incredible. But there's more. This is my favorite. Everyone knows the term for, for God, Adonai Tzvaot, right? The Lord of hosts. What are his hosts? His angels, the host that surrounds the Almighty God. And it says, as is fitting for the King of Kings, his, his divine chariot is accompanied by his heavenly angelic assembly, the host known as the Tzivaot. He is the Lord of hosts. Do you know where else we see God describing somebody as a host? Exodus 7, 4. When he says, if Pharaoh, when Pharaoh does not heed you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and deliver my ranks, this translation says. The word is Tzvotai, my hosts. God is surrounded by hosts in heaven. God is surrounded by his earthly hosts in Israel, in the camp. Do you see these connections? They're absolutely phenomenal. Israel, with her camp, was an earthly reflection of a divine beauty with a purpose. What was the purpose? To bear the image and presence of God into the land, into the world. And now I'll give you the answer to my very own question, but what does this have to do with Sarat? 
Israel was a microcosm of the divine heavenly procession that carries this on earth as it is in heaven. And like we discussed with that earthly and, and heavenly temple, here we have the same thing. The Mishkan at the center, that's the God's holiest space. But the whole camp was holy, just like what was happening in the divine camp. You cannot have impurity within that setting. That is like having, you know, uh, some impurity around the angels and the chayot. It doesn't happen. That's a, that is the perfectly holy space. And what God had created on earth is the very same thing. And so he says, I've tasked you, Israel, with carrying my presence into the land. If anything gets in the way of defiling that or making that impure, get it out of the camp. It will ruin what we're trying to do. They were not able to participate in this part until they were pure. And Israel, my friends, this divine mission of bringing God into the land, so to speak, what a, what a mission. What a mission. Chosen, that gives, that gives definition to what it means to be the chosen people. That God creates in your midst the very same thing that surrounds him in the holy, holy heavens. And man, that is cool. What a task, but what a responsibility. And you want to know something? It turns out now that we are in the same camp unintended. And what I mean by that is this. We too now bear the image of God as we carry around in our little, our little mishkans that we are, walking around on the earth carrying the very presence of God in the Ruach HaKodesh. We are, whether grafted into Israel or natural-born Israel, we too are tasked with this mission that represented the divine and came here to earth. And that is no easy task, but our responsibility is to do that with love, compassion, commitment to God and to man, and it is not easy. But what is happening around us today, my friends? Yes, George Floyd, and I don't know all that happened, I know some of the things I've seen. I know some of the things I've heard. I know some of the things I've read. But I don't know it all. But what is happening in that situation is representative of a deep and growing, I don't even know the word, disease. Forget about corona. The deep and growing disease in our culture that's taking over the world. And you ready for it? Division and hatred. And it lives on both sides. It always does. It is a stain in our camps. It's very interesting that Travis said this unsolicited. People saying they are in God's camp, that they represent the holy God of the universe. And yet, 
we behave like animals toward one another. That is a defilement of our inner camp. We are created for more than that. We cannot, cannot, cannot afford to let these things grow and fester within this camp. We must remove them from our midst personally. We must purge them out of the camp that the glory of God, Shekhanti, may dwell in us and around us. And we are still tasked every day with taking God to the world. Maybe not quite as cool as that. But that is our calling and our task. We represent the king. We must more than ever understand that calling. Grafted in whatever we are carrying his presence wherever we go. There's a song I love that says, uh, I'm dancing on the grave that once held me down. Dancing on the chains that are laying on the ground. I'm dancing in the dark, lighting up the light. Lighting up the night. Joy becomes a weapon. And I am here to fight. Man. I think these guys were excited about their calling and their task. We need to be excited about our calling and our task in the face of darkness surrounding us. And let's use joy, the joy of the Lord, as a weapon to fight and pierce this darkness. We are, my friends, living in unique times. We'll find a way to shine this light, to represent, to understand that we are his host. We still have that calling and task. Under the degel, under the banner, you know what our banner is? Yeshua. And we continue to have this job to do as we await our journey into the promised land. Let's work together. Joy, become a weapon. Let's fight. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.